AL. This is Authority Optional, Leadership Beyond the Rulebook. Today, we talk about Adam Grant's last podcast, not last podcast, a very recent podcast called Why Meetings Suck and How to Fix Them. We discuss whether or not we agree with the uh, the overarching message. Josh and I have a, a different stance, and we kind of hash that part out, and then we go into our own opinions on meetings and our own opinions on what you can do to make them right or wrong. Enjoy the show. All right, man. You want to get into this? Let's let's do this. This is this is funny. I, I think it, it, a bit off more than I can chew. Maybe I don't know. I like I didn't come prepare for war or anything. I just no. we we talked about a podcast and you had an impression of it and then had me listen to it and I got yeah. a very different impression of it. Yeah, and I and I know why I have that impression of it uh, as as opposed to your your viewpoint, which. I think in the middle, there's there's a ton of common ground here, and uh, and they they got around to it at the end of said podcast. But um, yeah, I I love me a good meeting. I also love me a good meeting. Uh, so we're obviously as uh, as will be as is indicated in the intro. Uh, we are talking about Adam Grant, one of his more recent, I believe, one of his more recent podcasts. Yeah. It's called uh, Why Meetings Suck and How to Fix Them. I'm actually looking up uh, who his guest was real quick because I can't I can't remember off the top of my head. All right, and so in the meantime, I'll uh, I'll update the audience in case in case people have not heard it yet. I do recommend absolutely. Uh, it should be noted, and and Josh asked that we we do this, and I would have done it anyway. We adore Adam Grant, so just in case that's not clear by the title, which it's not, <laughs> we're uh, we're calling this is is Adam Grant finally wrong. Or some version of that. And we fucking love Adam Grant. So uh, that doesn't mean that he's perfect or right about everything. But I'll say for my own part, I don't know that I've found a lot of stuff that he's been <laughs> wrong about. It's not listed it's in not the listed. notes. All right. Um, but anyway, that's that's the uh, that's the podcast that we're talking about. And Josh, you had a uh, you had an opinion about it initially, I, I, and then I, asked me to listen to it. And it's, it's funny because immediately I, I I think I had a gut reaction to it, and it's like meetings suck. That's pretty broad. Okay. Um. And uh, so know, we'll I, start out. We'll start out with agreement. When I saw that, I was like, "Oh, this would be rich," because again, for the audience uh, in our culture, meetings were glorious. Not all of them, and we're going to get into that. Not all of them, but generally speaking, we had a weekly meeting for our, our group. Our meetings our were meetings glorious. <laughs> were glorious. Uh, <laughs> so we'll get into the rest of that in a second. Sorry, go ahead. I interrupted. No, it, uh, I, I think it, uh, it set the preface for somebody like myself, uh, and they talk about it during the, the course of it. You know, Adam Grant is an introvert. Absolutely. Doesn't enjoy going to meetings, would prefer not to be in meetings, he knows that there are meetings that he has to be in because maybe he's leading something. Maybe he's got input that needs to be given, etc. He even but, started the show by talking to somebody going, it's like, are we in a meeting now? Are we in a meeting now? <laughs> and the guy said, yes, in fact, we are in a meeting now. So there's that. Yeah. 
they they covered a lot of ground from one end to the other, um, and and a lot of data points around. I think it was seventy percent of people who were asked in a survey essentially said that they don't get anything out of the meetings at work, and they really painted the picture at the beginning that they're a waste of time and they can be the purposes that it can serve or should serve and how they're actually being used in a, in a day-to-day setting. So, you know, they went over things that I think we'd find a lot of common ground on. And we even, we've talked about this before. You want me to sit down and do an L and D training with my team, pull the whole team for 30 minutes, 20 people off the phone. It's 10 man and woman hours. And I can send an email with the four bullet points because they all know how to read. Yeah. And just simply say, you know, just respond back that you've seen the email and that you got it. If you have any questions, let me know. And it's that it's those instances where it's a 30 second read. Yes, that makes sense. No, here's a question. Maybe we talk about it in a one on one that we're going to have. That's a meeting, by the way. And he starts off actually with uh, he he had sent out a, a missive to his audience and said, send me your horror stories. So it starts yeah. with horror stories, the worst possible meetings that you can imagine. One guy said they spent an hour talking about their favorite pizza toppings. Another one said that her boss wanted to spend an hour going or however long it took. I would imagine maybe more than an hour going over every single zoom function. These, and and, oh, and the last guy that I remember said, um, he, oh, the, the boss opened it up for questions and then proceeded to tell all of them they were asking the wrong questions. These are not examples of bad meetings, even though those are bad meetings. These are examples of terrible leadership. Thank you. Yes, you're welcome. <laughs> uh, icebreakers, those those types of things in a meeting. Um, I saw a meme uh, that I liked about that. It was like... Icebreakers are painful. When I get an icebreaker, or my job is to make them regret doing an icebreaker. <laughs> I'm going to make everybody in here uncomfortable. I love that. Uh, yeah. So I, I think the the consensus towards the end, as we got through, you know, ideas. There was one company, they um, uh, a larger company that actually deleted. They gave warning. The IT department gave warning. They deleted all meetings that were, I believe, it was older than two weeks. So we're talking about any recurring meeting that was in the system. Are you talking about the example, the survey they did? Yeah. They actually gave the power of authority to the sole contributors, like all the way down to the bottom of the leadership ladder. And they, I, I, that was the impression that I got that they are like, okay, you decide what meetings are valuable. Yeah. That's, that's what the company did that heard about this and they implemented it and oh, they, okay. they, they did it. Um, I think they gave them 48 hours notice. This other company literally just took them out and said, Hey, it's meetings doomsday. Go back and reconstruct your meetings and your regular, you know, whether it's one on ones or team meetings or there, there were meetings in there that they were talking about where it was a mentorship meeting that was three years old. And both people were like, I don't, we don't even really meet very often anymore. And when they do meet, it's a waste of time. Yeah. Yeah. They call that our meeting get in. I like that. Yeah. And, and so it, it really rubbed me the wrong way because they really were at the beginning putting out that position that meetings are a waste of time. Uh, the number one uh, thing that was in those surveys as far as uh, what are they? I think they, they called it a no, but a, meetings were the number one productivity killer. And I think we've all been in that position where we have things to get done. You know, we we have some threshold that we have to meet and we don't want to stop. We don't want to take an hour out of the day when we're right in the middle of flow 
And it needs to be okay in certain circumstances to, for instance, go to, you know, you as my manager and simply say, hey, I've got something going on right now. I need to skip our one-on-one. Can we reschedule or can we skip it this week? And we had a standing thing once we got going. Well, let's, uh, let me pause you. Let's not get into how we handled it just yet. Let's save that for the end because this is definitely an area where you and I are going to agree is how we were handling it when we were all working in the same business and doing the same thing. I think we could agree. We, we had it right. So let's, let's hash out this podcast part first because you came to me with this like, Hey, here's a podcast. I think you should listen to it. We should talk about it. And I was like, great. And then I looked up the title because you, you, you pitched it as like Adam Grant is basically talking that meetings are evil. And I went, Ooh, okay. Yeah. That's juicy. Yeah. They threw a big wet blanket over my love of meetings and yeah. I didn't appreciate it because we have our, our experience with meetings is clearly different from Adam's. So I was excited. And then I saw the rest of the title, which is, and how to fix them. And I remember turning to you and going, well, wait a minute. He's, he may be not wrong here. And you went, he shook your head and you're like, no, no, they don't, they don't even get into how to fix them. They, they say things like, oh, you should stand up during your meetings or make them 18 minutes long. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So we could actually, we could actually title our, our podcast episode with like Adam Grant's finally wrong or something like that. Um, but when I listened to it, I had you, I, I, I mentioned today when you came in, we listened to two different podcasts. If that's the impression that you walked away with, we we both listened to the same podcast, but we listened to two different podcasts. I think there were two pieces. Okay. I agree with you when we there there are good ways to have meetings and we'll we'll get into we'll, that. we'll get into that. And they got into that towards the end. They they got into what makes a good meeting or how do we shorten them, make them more effective, engage people. It's helping people pay attention, which is really difficult in a remote setting that a lot of people are working in right now. The thing that kept coming up in my mind was they kept talking about introverts being introverted, the way that they communicate. And I am an extrovert and developing the type of culture where people can actually come to you openly and give you feedback and go, we don't need to be having this meeting or we can stop talking about this topic. Mm -hmm. Those are all different pieces that absolutely make sense. But the question I kept asking was, well, what about, you know, what's the percentage? Did you ask these people of the 70% of people that think meetings in general are a waste of time? How many of them are actually introverted or disengaged or don't like the place that they work or don't care for their managers? And I want to relate that right back to culture. Those and are that's, really good data gathering questions. And and that's where we're, I know we're going to get eventually because we put in the groundwork and we built a culture and we know how to engage each other and how to keep that real and keep it significant. We're, we're looking for growth. We're looking for new perspective. We're looking to reframe things in a way that can gain us success. This podcast, honestly, to me, felt totally out of place compared to what I'm used to because I'm constantly looking at the ideas and how he rethinks and reframes and uh, you know, his ideas on creativity and taking in the different components that work for him and how to rebuild them or seeing that common thread and that through line, I have an utter amount of respect for Adam Grant. And so it was, it was kind of odd because for the first full half of the episode, I was less than impressed thinking, are we asking the right questions? So I got a question for you. This is, this is uh, based on a theory. Do you remember what you were doing while you were listening to the podcast? 
I think I was doing dishes. I was cleaning. I was actually working around the house. Okay. So my theory is, and our audience, I assume most of them, if not every single one of them, is doing something else while they're listening to their podcast. That is generally how they are absorbed. That's how radio shows are absorbed. That's how I absorb my podcasts. Which means you're not hanging on every word. And I'm going to tell all of our audience right now, I'm sad that you're not hanging on our every word. <laughs> all four of you. I All four of you. I'm sad, deeply wounded that you're not hanging on every word. But I understand. It's okay, because I'm, I'm the same way, and I can't judge you for it. So I'm, while I might be sad, I'm not judging. However, my theory, I actually sat at my computer, and all I did was listen to this podcast and take notes, because I felt like this is going to be interesting because of the way that you posited it to me. I don't know if that's the right use of that word, so forgive me if it's not. I was like, oh my God, Adam Grant could be wrong. I, turns out I don't think so at all. <laughs> and I took some notes. One of the things is they actually were getting to the how to fix them right from the very beginning. And this is a very Adam Grant style is he goes, if you're going to try to fix this thing, then you should take X number of steps. And in this case, it was four steps. First thing you should do if you're talking to the people that you're going to meet with is number one, ask, actually stand fast. Number one was at, like when to have the meeting and why. That's that's question number one for the group of people that you're going to have a meeting with. When and why. And then he said, you know, and I'm going to get to that part later because the, this the next thing I was about to say is like, so so me, and I was like, <gasps> not only do Adam and I ad agree, I knew this thing, this concept, long before I ever came across Adam Grant. So it made me feel really good about myself. The second question is how long they should last. The third question is decide who needs to be invited because damn, have I been in a lot of meetings I shouldn't have been in and damn, have I seen a lot of people in meetings that should not, <laughs> I should not have been there. And then the fourth one is um, change the conversation before the meeting, not during the meeting. So if you're, if you're going to challenge something essentially like, I don't know that, that one, that one was a little bit looser to me, or maybe I didn't quite gather. Um, but you're, the idea is, oh, the idea is like encourage people, try to get full participation, which happens in plenty of meetings. Even the ones that we don't want to be at, they're trying to like, they're trying to, you know, the, with the zoom calls, put your thumb up and, you know, make like, they're making sure you're there. <laughs> they, they always, you know, they're, they're brilliant individuals. They're making salient points, things like asking the questions that are going to be in the meeting in an email beforehand so people have a chance to process and actually be prepared as opposed to hitting them with it in the meeting. Right. Okay. Yeah, you're right about that. So, but this wasn't at the end. Like this was all through and they made some exceedingly accurate points. I'm going to, I'm going to list just a couple people develop group norms and they don't challenge them. There's learned helplessness or otherwise known as ignorance, uh, excuse me, pluralistic ignorance, yeah. which basically means, and Oh my God, there is a guy that I always think of when it comes to the epitome of BDC. <laughs> Those are big, dumb companies, big, dumb companies. I'm going to call him Ronnie because that would, it would probably piss him off to hear that. We're going to call him Ronnie. Ronnie was the epitome of BDC and how to act if you want to keep 
bad culture going and acting like you're an automaton and you don't challenge the status quo, but you just use authority as a weapon and you make all those below you. And this guy was in charge of regions. Tell us how you really feel. (laughs) Thousands of people were under this guy's thumb and he was an old white guy. And he acted like an old white guy who came up through the system, got brainwashed and was told this is how you do things. And he went, "Okay," And then he used authority as his ultimate weapon of mass destruction. And there was it brooked no argument. And he was just he was just that guy, the guy you hate. This is how many meetings you should have. This is how they how long they should last. This is what they should be about. He was the guy. I'm not going to spend too much time on on this guy. (laughs) It's not worth your time. But when shit rolled downhill, this was the first guy to dodge out of the way. He never questioned his his the people in, in positions of authority over him. He never questioned their rule. He never thought anything was a bad idea. He just got the hell out of the way. And all of the dumb ideas that were created from group norms and ignorant, pluralistic ignorance, he just let happen under his watch. Super short chicken walk. Okay. I, I remember an instance once. It was the first day of a new month. And I don't remember the circumstance around it. It could have been a holiday weekend, something along that line. And numbers were down all across the region. Calls were down all across the region. And a 911 emergency went out that we needed to go talk to our people and get reports together and pull together what was happening and why those numbers were low. This is at like noon on the first day of a new month. Yeah. Calm down. Yes. There was definitely no such thing as calm down like in his world. Yesterday was Thanksgiving and today, no, I, it wasn't. It was literally, I know it was the first or second day of a month. It was, it was ridiculous. And by the way, this is a guy, again, I'm going to stop beating this drum soon. This is a guy who had been in the contact center industry for probably the majority of his career, as it were, by the time I came into his organization. He'd been at it for a decade. And, and so the next 15 years only added... To his, I would imagine 25 plus years of his own experience in a contact center. And yet when his leaders would come to him and go, Hey, what's going on in your call centers? He would go, I guess we should go find out reports. Everybody scatter. Everybody panic. Everybody do, give me data do, right do, now. Do. Instead of talking to the people who are in charge, he's like a couple steps away from the C-suite. So it's, it makes sense that they're confused because a lot of those people were also old white people and they probably had never been in contact centers themselves. <laughs> they don't know what's going on. It's up to this gentleman who has been in the contact center industry for quite some time, has expertise, has high level experience and can go relax. This is, this is the thing that happens. It's ebbs and it flows. Sometimes there's not a great reason for it, but what I can tell you is one day's worth of data is basically like zero days worth of data. That's nothing. He could have done that. And I, I can practically guarantee you that every single time we went through a panic on days, day one, things just worked themselves out by day two. It wasn't because we went and gathered a bunch of data all immediately. It was because some kind of ebb or flow that was normal and natural that normally affects these things would just work itself the fuck out. And he just, every single time he would jump on the panic wagon and hit that big red button and everybody would have to go scatter and ruin a day's worth of work, scare their bankers, possibly impact customer experience because now our bankers are panicked and the customers are 
what the hell's wrong with you? I you yeah, know, for I, no reason whatsoever. Yeah, I call this bank because they're supposed to have their crap together, and today turns out not so much. So let's let's shift back over though. I think the the word that they maybe used in their podcast was groupthink. Yeah, and the, I think it's a double edged sword, right? Groupthink. I, I think there's a negative connotation to that. You know, the the there corporate sure. the corporate line and it coming down and the story that we're. We're it's essentially all, a dangerous place that you can get to if nobody ever disagrees. Sure. On the flip side of that, part of the beauty of having people in a meeting and in that setting is to get on the same page. Now, I think, it again, it, the delineation is the leader. What what are we doing? Are we, are we taking the corporate line and it's the corporate line all the way down to line the shareholder's pocket or... Are we actually talking about how this is going to impact customers as humans, us as frontline employees? Are we actually getting on the same page so that we have a plan? We've talked in the past, a great team will take some sort of an obstacle like that that's a, a corporate obstacle from a BDC, and their only question is going to be, okay, that, that could be tricky. What's the plan? Mm-hmm. Or if they're really great, they're going to be like, I have some ideas around that, and they're going to share in that meeting. Meetings don't suck. That is where we develop our group think. It's where we reinforce the culture that we've created and where those experts get to flex that thought process and creativity, share with one another and develop that plan. I didn't like the way they positioned that. You know, group think on the the grand scale, if you have 30,000 employees that are just right along the same line. Yeah, maybe maybe that's a bad idea that that can be dogma, right? Well, that's that's what I would. The only challenge I have to this, because generally conceptually, I agree with you. Groupthink is bad because you get a group of people that all agree on this thing, and then that they become impermeable, which means dogma. So groupthink essentially can lead to dogma, which is why it's looked at with a negative connotation. And I I tend to agree with that. The, yeah. In our own team, if we all agreed on something, I kind of always felt a little bit of a pull to just kind of throw a bomb in there and go like, oh, let's let's pick this apart once in a while, then make sure if you think that something is absolutely right, the way to keep feeling good about it is to keep getting challenged on that thing and keep coming up with the same or similar result. So we had our particular culture. So for instance, we absolutely, especially by the end, believed in radical transparency. But if we were super hardcore about it and nobody could ever convince us otherwise, or it essentially gets to the point where nobody can even ask you a question about it. I wanted people to ask us questions. I wanted to always be challenged about it for the purpose of you're likely going to strengthen our resolve. But if I'm wrong, if Ray Dalio is wrong about radical transparency, let's hear it. I I, want to know because, because one of the other things that we all agreed on and not all the time, but we generally agreed on is the best idea wins. So if somebody comes along with an idea that's somehow better than radical transparency, (laughs) count me in. I want to know. I want all the data. I want to read the book. I want to see how it pans out. This is this is interesting because this is one of the the greatest things that I've gotten in the last year of rolling back through and listening to a lot of Adam Grant's podcasts is the idea of where you're coming from uh, in your thought process. Are you the preacher? Oh, yeah. yeah. Or the lawyer? Uh, the prosecutor prosecutor. Right. Um, or are you the scientist right. and, and the scientist is 
you know, we know these things to be factual. We've put them through specific paces. So far. We're, we're, we're open to additional information that right. may change that perspective. And in talking about his, his book uh, around rethinking and that whole idea of just being open, not having it be dogmatic, but having it be, well, these are the things that I've seen that work and always being open to some new ideas and creativity that can enhance or in some cases maybe maybe change or alter the the way that we think and it might be group think it might be individual think last week's uh topic that we discussed whether it's team or whether it's self and that entire spectrum in between i am the extroverted love meetings definitely need to have time limits and and those types of things to keep things in check because you know we can go on a chicken walk where you know, we talk all the time when we're not on camera a lot longer than the half an hour, 45 minutes hour that we, yeah, <laughs> our podcast is supposed to be 20 to 40 minutes and it's usually 45 minutes. I don't to think an it's hour. been 40 minutes yet. Yeah. You know? So, you know, if you don't care for that as a listener, sorry about that, but we're chatty. There's a couple other things that they said. Like I said, I don't need to touch on all of them, but some of the things that they said where I went, oh, damn, I have to write that down. That is incredibly accurate. The problem with meetings is incredibly solvable. People just need to try, but the group think the, um, I keep forgetting the, uh, pluralistic ignorance stops people from trying. They actually use an example and there's statistics to bound to bear this out. People witnessing something horrific happening will stand by as other people are standing by thinking, oh, this must not actually be that bad, not knowing that every other person witnessing is thinking the exact same thing. So that's kind of an, an extreme example of it. There are some other little tidbits. Discussions are not the right reason to have a meeting. I agree with that. <laughs> yeah. They mentioned having an agenda and knowing, you know, intent. What is the intent of this meeting? Yes. Well, an intent is different from agenda. People oftentimes statistically come to meetings with agendas and that's the wrong way to go too. over inviting problem. You have people come into this meeting that don't need to be there. You this, by the way, I noted for myself, this is also a huge problem with emails. I was on oh. thousands, not kidding of emails mm. that I had no business being on that I had no care for. didn't touch my job. Ugh. Anyway, <laughs> yeah. Having agendas does little for productivity. More important is what it's made of and who's facilitating. So to your point, what's the intent of the meeting? Uh, meetings do not squander human potential. Bad meetings squander human potential. So the guy starts off with a Dave Barry quote, and I'm not going to remember what it is, but it, it essentially infers that meetings squander human potential. Odds are good that if one person feels drained by a meeting, others do too. I would agree with that. I checked in with you guys constantly. At some point, it was just a given that we were going to do our weekly meeting. But I did check in with the people, specifically the introverts. How, how are you feeling about meetings? And they're like, yeah, still good. Everything's good. I like them. They're, they're a nice respite from some of the other nonsense that we have to deal with in our job. And we're going to get to why. Later on in the show, Josh and I are going to tell the audience why our meetings worked. People who do like meetings, quote unquote, often have productivity paranoia. They fear that they look like they're not getting things done. If they don't have a bunch of meetings, I can think of one person right off the top of my head. I'm not going to say her name. <laughs> that absolutely, absolutely has this productivity paranoia. And then fear of deleting meetings because of the false perception that you're not committed or you don't care. So people have this opinion that, oh, I can't cancel this meeting with this person, even though we get 
Jack done and it's not productive. Yeah, there's this little thing called an edit and you can add a note that just says, hey, I have a couple of other priorities. Can we cancel or even reschedule? Let me know. Yeah, it's, it's and this is going to. Let's adult and communicate. This dead horse is going to get beaten a lot in this podcast. Communication is everything. You know what? Let me rephrase. Good communication. Effective communication is everything. So, yeah, if you don't know how to use your words and tell somebody, hey, I don't know if you feel like this meeting has accomplished anything, but I kind of don't. So can we either reschedule or cancel? Are you good with that? Like, just go talk to the person one way or the other. Like, that's just kind of what you do. You don't have to worry about their feelings if you go talk to them. Okay, so they also talked about uh, what the meetings need, so, and we got into that a little bit. And I think we're going to come back to this because, like I said, one of the things that one of the things that Adam Grant said that every meeting needs, I was like, <gasps> that is that feels so good because I've always believed the exact same thing. And he maybe added a word or two that I didn't. That I was like, oh yeah, that totally totally lines up. Um, a list. One of the things that he said in order to improve meetings, a list of key questions is better than an agenda. So. If you're going to have a discussion meeting, go instead of an agenda, we're going to talk about this thing and then we're going to do this and then we're going to, you know, iron this thing out. You come up with a topic and a list of questions. What are some ways you guys can think of that we can overcome this obstacle in a way that keeps our efficiency in line and doesn't sacrifice customer experience? Just for just for the perception of the audience, this is something I would write down. It's one of the best pieces of advice in management that I've ever gotten. Somebody in that meeting is going to make a comment or ask a question. It's going to be sideways. It's going to be the the big why question. It'll have a negative connotation of some sort. The most powerful thing you can do rather than rebut against it or rebut with why we have to do this because the company says so is to look to their peers in the room and say, and validate. First of all, that person's perspective is their perspective. It is their reality in that moment. That's how they feel. You, you don't want to just throw that back at somebody because that starts to break down trust. You can validate that that's a salient point. What are the rest of you doing in regards to that? How do you feel about that? And let that, and I'm going to say group think, mm-hmm. let, let the influence of the group because... I'm going to replace group think with culture. <clears throat> okay. Because and, I, and I think that's more fair. Yeah. It's first of all, it's more flexible. And second of all, it has to be built. Yeah. I guess technically groupthink also has to be built, but it's not. I would consider that more manufacturing than crafting. You we're, craft a culture. You don't you yeah. build a groupthink. We're, we're using psychology to our advantage as leaders in that in that moment, because the the idea that already permeates a team where, you know, the, the belief of the majority um, the normalization, if that's voiced, we have a desire to assimilate. It's part of being a social primate that that we can't control. You got to fit if, into the tribe. Yeah. Or if, we're, if the entire tribe feels that way, you're going to, at the very least, feel awkward or out of place and start asking maybe some of the right questions. Mm-hmm. And this is this is delicate because as a leader, <laughs> you've got to make sure that you're guiding this. Yes. But this culture that you want to create, sometimes the most powerful thing when negativity comes up is the question. And that's where this came from, is having key questions in these meetings or turning it into a key question when something goes sideways. You can't ignore it. You can't leave it on the table. You can't leave it hanging in the air. You have to turn around. And if you don't have the answer, 
that's okay. Right. You know, that's a great question. How do the rest of you feel about that? What are you experiencing? What are you doing when you encounter this? And it's one of the reasons that I, I would much rather say culture than groupthink because because you have to craft a culture, you have to do all the work leading up to that moment where people feel it's okay to disagree. So Josh pipes up with, here's my idea for this thing. Maybe he expresses, I think it's stupid, blah, blah, blah. And I go, all right, that's an opinion. What do the rest of you guys have? If you don't have the culture where somebody feels like it is perfectly okay for them to go, I think Josh is being kind of an idiot right now. I, what I read, and by the way, I'm using, you know, ridiculous words that wouldn't happen. You don't have to call somebody names in order to get your point across. You don't have to say you think something is stupid in order to convey that you think it's stupid, but you can. You can craft a culture that is so tight, that is so sharp, that people feel like they can be absolutely honest knowing that that other person knows they're not trying to hurt their feelings. I want to double down on this because uh, I remember instances and uh, <laughs> I remember instances where it wasn't, you know, it's it's not as visceral as, as I, I think what we're talking about, but where an idea would come up and somebody would simply voice there's something about that that's not it's not landing correctly. I don't know what it is yet and I probably need to process, but I don't want us to move forward in that direction. Like, yeah. There's there's something that instinctually isn't right about that. It's asking for a pause. Yeah, well, just creating process. This. Yeah, creating space as opposed to what happens so often where the most dominant voice in a room will take over and they'll have an idea and they'll push that idea and everybody else is just pushed to the walls be the leader that opens space and asks those key questions or yeah. takes that where you can read the room and see that some people are uncomfortable and simply saying, what do the rest of you think? You know, let's pause for a second and go down the line, ask your, your leaders in the room on your team that you've, you're already aware of. I don't think any of this can happen outside of a meeting with everybody being there and an established culture. Well, it depends on what you mean by everybody. So if you're talking about everybody in an organization, no, yeah, I'm, you the, guys all had the sphere bankers. of influence. Yeah, this the sphere of influence, because we all need to be on the same page. There were 11 of us in the room. That, I think, is a critical distinction. Everybody needs to be included who is in the sphere of influence. If they should have a say, if they do have a say, if a decision is going to be made and that person wasn't there and they're maybe going to maybe have a problem with it, they should have been there. And if they can't have been there, they're sick, they're out of the office, whatever, that, that's one thing. But they should be invited and because they have a say in it. So on my team, and again, I'm not going to get too much into this because we're going to switch gears in a second. On my team, everybody had a say. And so that meant you all got to be there when we're making decisions because everybody gets to say their piece. And that doesn't mean you're going to get your way because we were pretty democratic about things. And if you were wildly outnumbered, then you were wildly outnumbered. And we were going to do things the way that the kind of the group agreed to if it needed to be done consistently. But largely it didn't. Which and was good. we were always good as a group, though, about including that that last or those two people that maybe weren't there and including that voice. It's amazing in that culture what happens when somebody comes up with a, a reframing or a different perspective and two or three other people go, oh, wait a second, I didn't think of that. Yeah. And it so, adds to the discussion. It's important to have people in the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> so let's put a bow on the thought on the podcast. 
my theory is that you might have tuned it out a little bit. I'm, and I'm only saying that because I was doing nothing but listening to the podcast and taking notes and you were doing chores. So there's an element of one of the nice things about doing chores. I'm disagreeing right now. Okay. I don't, uh, then we'll, let's take a second to do that. Your claim is that they were focusing a lot of, a lot of energy on why meetings suck and not so much energy on how to fix them. I completely disagree. We heard two different podcasts throughout the entire podcast. Adam was like, here's how to fix them. And this coming from a guy who hates meetings. They specifically both said they were introverts and that they don't like meetings. I'm an extrovert and I love meetings. So there's a dissonance right from the beginning. So but again, then they spent 30 again, out of 35 minutes <laughs> they, fixing it. They, they did. And there's a lot of common ground in there. I, I feel, um, again, it was the big wet blanket and I'm trying to find my way out from under it. Um, it, they, they get there in the end, they go through the process of the productive pieces. So if it was in our culture, I would have been like, okay, that's great. You guys are both introverts. You're not everybody. Um, essentially you're just bitching about meetings. So what's the plan? They got to the plan towards the end of the podcast. I'm not saying that they didn't get there and that there wasn't constructive elements towards the end. But when they began, I was just like, okay, you really need to convince me. This is why, and audience, you go make your own opinion. Um, Josh and I don't have to walk away from this thing agreeing. I will say this is why I think it's possible that you tuned out because by minute six, Adam was saying those four things. He was starting with, here's how to fix meetings. And the impression that you gave me when you told me about the podcast was it's way more about why meetings suck and very little on how to fix them. And I thoroughly disagree. I don't remember saying that. Through the, it is, well, it was the, through the conversation. But throughout the entire thing, he's laying down piece by piece. Here's one of the four things that you should do. Here's some examples of that. Here's some context for that. Here's thing number two you can do to fix your meeting. They're doing it. They're spending at least two thirds I, I agree with that. that. I agree with that. Not the last couple here's, minutes. Here's what I think. Full on two thirds. Here's here's what I think, and this is this is where we should we should move on to the more productive piece. <laughs> uh, you agree with, like you're an introvert, but maybe not to the extreme. Adam Grant is a self-proclaimed introvert. Like he he could sit in a room by himself all day and work and be just perfectly fine without talking to a soul, right? Uh where you're hearing things that resonate with you that are fixing it because you you agree with that that mindset, I'm still hearing pieces that are dissonant to me because I'm an extrovert who really likes my meetings. And there's a growth point here. You and I both know that there have been instances where I'm more than ready to get verbose and talk and continue on, and we shouldn't because maybe it's not it's not as productive as it could be. And so there's a growth point there for me. But I think really what we heard was through our own, our own values, our own strengths. You heard what you wanted to hear because it resonates positively with you. And I heard what I didn't want to hear because it was dissonant to me. All right. Let me go a different tack here. So I don't have to throw anybody into the bus, anybody specific. Think about all of the other meetings that you were required to be a part of in that job. Did you like them all? No, now I'm now the two thirds that you're talking about where I said I agree. There's there are so many meetings that are unproductive. This is this is the this is the hinge of my argument because what I was listening to is they were describing 
all of the other meetings that weren't ours. Yeah. That weren't, we'll just say for ease of, ease of example, my meetings, the yeah. ones that I created, I hated, hated all the other meetings that I, first of all, was required to be a part of them. I, I have a huge chip on my shoulder. It's funny that we're calling this authority optional because I have a problem with authority. That's why we're <laughs> heavy on the optional. It doesn't mean that it doesn't have its place, but it's optional. You don't have to be a leader who who throws your weight around. And You don't have to have authority to be a leader. Correct. So what you were hearing, I think you were relating to the meetings that you like. And what I was hearing, I was relating yeah. to their, their, what I think was their main point. The vast majority of meetings are terrible and there's reasons for that. And I agree with all the reasons for that. And what I, what I would love for is any, any company to listen to them, <laughs> please, <laughs> please listen to them and go, Oh, maybe we need to relook at this. Like, even if that's all you do, but don't make any other mandates other than clear off all your meetings and you decide what's important. If yeah. you go clear off all your meetings and then you just start creating meetings again, that they're all going to be required to be in. You've missed the point. So let's, let's push this door the rest of the way open. The back two thirds were incredibly productive. There was a process, a plan, a, a, a thought there like let's let's move past that because I do completely agree they absolutely got into the how-to of making meetings impactful and engaging and uh and, and so again the front part and the rub that wasn't the full takeaway the full takeaway is this end part let's let's move through to the next thing what we did and and the positive aspects of that i uh, i'm fine with that i'm gonna say that maybe we should start recording our prompts from now on because that i the way that you painted the picture was different than how you're coming across now but i can accept that perhaps i heard wrong so let's let's talk about um one of the reasons that we feel strongly about at least our meetings your competition is showing right now <laughs> It's not a, it's not an effort to, I just, it's maybe, just who maybe you it are. Maybe, yeah. maybe it is competitive, but you sounded different when you pitched this podcast to me. Yeah, you no, did not say two thirds. What I, what I, what I, was it a text message? No, we, we, you called me. I don't, I don't remember. I, I remember very it's, specifically, it's <laughs> I remember very specifically being like, Hey, you know, Adam Grant's got to take on this thing about meetings and blowing meetings up. And you know, there's a, I, there's good stuff at the end, but I, I think he may be incorrect because they're talking about the fact. And I remember specifically the question I asked on the first call was how many of these are introverts and what 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 is the the crux of the question? Like in general, if you ask me the same question, meetings are crap in general because I'm only 20 percent of the meetings where I have some sort of control or influence in that right. sphere the rest of those meetings. So, but that's, that's a good, maybe that's, maybe that's where I'm getting it wrong is the simple fact of, if we look at the broad spectrum of all the things that a, a BDC would require. Yeah. So 60 if you or paint 70% the picture, of those are annoying. I can drop this. If you paint the picture and say, Adam Grant might be wrong. And then you say, I agree with them that 20, only 20% of my meetings were any good. You're effectively agreeing with the entire point of the podcast. I still think you're trying to win. I, I yeah, <laughs> but we'll let the audience decide. So <laughs> let's talk about what makes a good meeting. Cause that, that if you're going to walk away from this podcast with anything, if you're, if you have soldiered on this far, 45 minutes into this recording, maybe you want to hear 
what we did that made us love our meetings. And I would say, as far as I know, fairly universally. So one of the things that Adam Grant said, and I've been saving it for this part, a meeting should do one of four things. And I don't agree with the order he said them in, but I agree with all four things. A meeting should be to decide, learn, bond, or do. Now, for me, meetings, number one, first and foremost, always and with a bullet, were to bond. Because That's I, funny because his guest literally said you can't build connection in a meeting. That's false. Yeah. And he was wrong about some stuff, in my opinion. Um, and that's one of the things that I completely disagree with. It depends on the culture that you're crafting. If you're having a meeting that fits the description of all of the shitty meetings that are describing, of course you cannot bond in that situation. Uh, there was no bonding happening in, sorry if you're listening. Uh, there was no bonding happening in my boss's meetings. There was definitely no bonding happening in her boss's meetings. None of my bosses, no bonding was happening in their meetings. Never. I know because I was constantly in their in their desk, their office, their cubicle, whatever, asking about because I always wanted to know what was coming down before I was allowed to know. That's just kind of who I am. I'm a strategist. I, I want to know so I can make a plan. Um, there was definitely no bonding happening above me if we're going to use directional as as a thing. In my teams, on my meetings, that's all I cared about. There was nothing else. I had teams that were working two completely different shifts. Everybody had a slightly different shift, but it was basically divided between day and swing. That meant that that meant that there were times when some people were very rarely going to see each other and I needed my team to be a cohesive unit. So every week without fail, we would meet on Wednesdays and this might blow your mind a little bit, but initially and for a long time, my meetings were scheduled for four hours. They would not always go four hours, but sometimes they did. And I will tell you why. And keep in mind, people are going, what? Yes. (laughs) Minds were blown. All four of them. (laughs) (laughs) The reason that they could go that long is, well, there's reasons. Number one is because I did not stop bonding. So if somebody interrupted a conversation to take a chicken walk or to make a joke or whatever, if we weren't in the middle of some kind of really important decision-making discussion, people were allowed to laugh and play, grab ass and not literally, and do whatever they were going to do. <laughs> Thank you for the clarification You're for welcome. the human resources division of authority optional. <laughs> it, I allowed room and space for people to be social because this was likely going to be the only time of the week that they were yeah. going to spend a bunch of time together I had to make it worthwhile. So I was allowed to be interrupted, the subject, the topic, whatever was going on, again, unless we were in the middle of something, like truly in the middle of something. Like you got to read the room. But generally speaking, that's 10% of the time we were doing something real serious, you know, that like, all right, let's 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 knock this out. Let's spend the next 15 minutes busting this out. Aside from that 10% of time, that meant 90% of the time people were allowed to do whatever, like crack-wise – you know, make an interjection, throw out an idea, take a, ask a question that was going to take us down a different path. And I would not stop things. And what would be, what became very interesting to me is based on the personalities, other people would wrangle the meeting back in line. Mm -hmm. I, my beloved core core that, that was, uh, his guy named Corey. I, I don't mind saying his name because this is all super complimentary. 
Corey would wrangle us sometimes. He'd get a little tired of the grab ass and be like, all right, guys, here we go. <laughs> coming, coming back to topic here. And I loved that about him. And everybody loved that because other there were probably other people, probably introverts that were like, oh, God, here we go again. That's we're off the rails again. I only got to, I think I met him once in the office. That's whose team I actually took over, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And his team loved him. Yeah. For very obvious reasons. He's a delightful human being. Anyway. So that was reason number one for me that that I would carve out four hours for this meeting and we would take bathroom breaks. We would walk away and come back. People would get a chance to, you know, breathe if they needed to. But this was mostly a, a time designed for play. And that's not something that I could have told my superiors. They would have lost their minds if I told them I'm carving out four hours of salaried employees so that they can dick around. And yet, we were the top performers in the world. <laughs> in the world, we, uh, I, I, the memories that I have coming back right now. You know, we would start these meetings because some people were on at five thirty in the morning until like two. Some people came in at two to two thirty and were on until eleven p.m. Right. So we're hitting this window somewhere between like one yeah. and two o'clock as a start time, going until you know three four. You know, it was lunch. It was breaking bread. It was. Very much like while we're eating and getting the meeting going and talking and sometimes we would go off site and yeah, legitimately go have lunch. Yeah. Families, children, um, outside interests. Um, yeah, there were there were so many pieces and I would never I would never be so flippant as to write off just how powerful it is to know somebody as opposed to just knowing them as a peer in the office. It's a nice segue into one of the other few reasons that I had such long meetings and why they were so powerful. Everything was allowed in those meetings. Vulnerability, people breaking each other's balls, talking about family, talking about whatever. Like we we covered so much ground on a weekly basis that Josh mentioned in a previous episode that he would be perfectly willing to hand his kids over to any one of those people in that room because of the level of trust. And one of the ways that you build that kind of trust is communication and communication can't happen in 18 minutes. It can't happen when you're thinking about, God, I need to get out of this meeting so I can go back and be productive. No, this was a time set aside to go. You don't have to be productive right now because you're all badass leaders. I'm counting on you having your ducks in a row. And while you're absent for four, it's the same thing I expect on the weekends. I don't expect you to work seven days a week. I don't expect you to work more than eight hours. I'm sitting here laughing because our team leads had it. Yeah. We we built the culture from the, the top down. Our teams knew what to do. Like It wasn't like somebody wasn't running the team when we were in these meetings. We had an amazing support crew. It, it went in. We yeah. had everything that we needed in place. So yes. if, if that sounds uh, ridiculous to you, similar to the way that going on vacation for a week or two and coming back and trusting that it's handled, you can delete those emails because there was another leader on them and they've already been handled. That's the kind of culture where, yeah, you can go in a room for two or three hours. If something like a true a 911, something like that, I can remember a couple of times where a, a, team, lead, a team lead cracked a door. <laughs> <laughs> and they were asking a question and it was like, is that necessary right now? Uh, well, no, it probably could wait. Okay. Okay. Like, and it's just, and it's not in a mean way or a flippant way, but just that idea of, uh, go ahead and make a decision. You're in charge. 
I'll say this. There was maybe one or two legit emergencies that needed an exempt employee, which is what we all were. Aside from that, interruptions from leaders down the road, our leads, for instance, those became non-existent. It, all it took was once or twice where they knocked on the door and came in and, and got asked, like, is this something that needs to be handled in the next half an hour? And they would say, oh, well, no, I guess not. Like, yeah. okay. And then, you know, they're looking at 11 faces <laughs> uh, looking while watching them, all of them, they're, you know, they're next level up, their bosses, or in my case, two levels up or whatever. And they're all going, holy shit, this is scary. <laughs> and in, in it was, do I it. don't think it was, well, it I don't was, think it was, it was scary when they knew. scary. Yeah. They it were was, it was scary when they knew that they were asking a, a yeah, less than intelligent question. Yeah. They weren't expecting to be asked, is this really necessary right this second? They weren't expecting that. They were expecting one of us to pop up out of our seats and go run and take care of something because that's what our company culture taught, if you want to call it culture. That's react, what react, 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 react. Exactly. And then it took a couple of times, but eventually, oh, I mean, in the last five years, I don't remember hardly any interruptions. And if we did, it was because somebody was like, "I need an adult, <laughs> like I need an exempt," and that was fine. We were always willing to take care of that. You know, I think that plays into the conversation here because as I'm thinking about this. We didn't have a lot of reaction time because we had a plan in place. You know, we were very proactive with what we were doing and the culture that we created. But back to what you had said, where you were drilling, you were drilling because there wasn't there wasn't bonding. You were drilling on leaders that were above you for information yes. on things coming down the pike. And we accepted the challenge. We used to call ourselves the tip of the spear. Uh, any challenge that came down the line you know, Max would ask us first, but almost without reserve, we would stick our hands in the air and be like, we'll pilot it. We'll try it. We'll, we'll do it. And the reason why was twofold. One was we wanted to be in front of it in the sense of if we're going to create process or if there's any policies involved or any pieces that are going to be permanent structure, we want to have input. And the second one was we had a leader who was willing to go and whether it was push back or gain information, we could be in front of things. We didn't have to be reactive. Yes. When other people were going, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We were like, do you want to hear what we've been doing for the last few weeks? Few weeks? Like, how did you? Well, <laughs> because we had we had a silver-tongued leader who was getting information not inappropriately, not sharing inappropriately. But when you have that information and you can construct what you are and aren't able to share, but that we want to get in front of X, there were reasons. We were smart enough to read the writing on the wall and go, okay, something's coming down. We're going to have a plan in place before this change even happens. That was definitely part of it. I, I would say you're, you're giving me some nice compliments, but I will say we had a team of people that got really good at reading the writing on the walls and would go, I think this thing is going to happen. And let's just say it doesn't. Is there any harm in being prepared for it? And then everybody would go uh, either yes or no. We think that's harmful. And here's why. Generally speaking, people were ready. Whatever, yeah. whatever, <laughs> whatever the it environment was, brought. It was protecting the tribe. Yeah, absolutely. The third reason that I think that our meetings went really well is because so we've talked about room to breathe for bonding. Um, number two, there there weren't a lot of rules. You know, it's we're all supposed to be here together, and you, you're spending a lot of your waking hours with these people. 
So, you know, respect each other as much as you would respect your friends or your family or whatever, you know, maybe not family, <laughs> like that's different for some people, but respect each other as, as you would respect your friends. Um, and the third thing was we're, we're going to get something of value out of this. And that's, that comes back to Adam Grant's thing, decide, learn, uh, bond or do. We're going to accomplish something out of this. This isn't going to be a waste of time. Zero arguments on that. Yeah. So those that's that's kind of the summary of how meetings worked. Um, there were some things that I did behind the scenes. Josh mentioned I got I got in really good relationships with my leaders. I got them to trust me so they would give me information before I was supposed to have it. And then I would turn that into something productive. It's not like they were not supposed to tell me because it would negatively impact the company if I knew. It's because oftentimes BDC companies, quote unquote, culture is all about need to know. And that's crap most of the time. People want to know what's coming so they can be prepared. Intelligent people need the why behind something so that they can be engaged. And that's where that I've always said that's the difference between having leaders and having order takers. The the why behind it so that they have the reason to be engaged. You want to say your tagline? Yeah. If your meetings suck and you're not having any fun, you're doing it wrong. (laughs) Nice. 